I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week I'm talking to glass etcher and wordsmith extraordinaire Andy Poplar, founder of Vinegar and Brown Paper. Andy etches quality glassware with clever, witty phrases, creating gifts that become modern-day heirlooms. I visited him in his soulful studios in Yorkshire, where we chatted corporate burnout, staying true to your brand, his struggle with mental health, and how starting a small business was his tonic to happiness. So, Andy, such a joy to be in the famous studio. Oh, famous. Well, it is. It is, as far as I'm concerned. We've got the doors open. We have the birds singing. I've got aprons all around me, scalpels, glass jars, oh. milk bottles. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I should have tidied up, really. No, I? no, definitely not. This I is tidy, this. actually. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, I spent so the last three days. I've dreamt of this, Andy. <laughs> I'd love to start by asking you a question that's always been on my mind. Whenever I look at everything you've created, it just takes me back because it's it's just so bloody clever. Tell me, tell me where you. Sorry to make you blush okay. already. Um, just tell me about your love of language, where it all came from, and and how that's led to the sort of life you now lead. Um, well, I was always a, a reader of books, really, from very early age. I think. Yeah, there was there were certain points along the way where there's certain authors and certain books that kind of just made me um, kind of fall in love with language and what it could do, really. I think probably the first one, I mean, obviously you've got the whole Roald Dahl thing, you know, I, yep. I grew up on that. So that obviously kind of like seeped into me. Um, but the first thing that I can remember, the first proper like wordplay jokes that I remember were in Douglas Adams, um, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I just remember some of the sentences that, that Douglas Adams would come up with. There's one. I always remember this. I should do a glass with this etched on, really. It, it's along the lines of, it's rather unpleasantly like being drunk. And then the other <laughs> character says, Arthur says, what's so unpleasant about being drunk? Ask a glass of water. That's just a beautiful twist yeah. of words. And it, basically, that's what language can do. It, it's all there. It's all kind of laid out. The words exist. It's how you put them together and what how you bounce them off each other it's a pun but it's more than that it's just beautiful and I suppose that is it's not just clever it's very eloquent and it's and it's an incredible thing that you've managed to just take a few words what I I like most and I I love it when you do shows and stuff you get go through this amazing thing of being stood you've seen me at a show yeah and and I'm stood there like with a barrier of all the glass in front so no one can get to me which is great (laughs) but it also means that I can look at people's faces and you can you can watch them from one side of the stall uh walk along 
and, and you see the penny drop. And once the penny drops once, then, then they start reading each and every one of the items. And you see this huge smile start. Mm. start. It doesn't always happen, but, you know, you, by the end, sometimes you get them laughing and, it, and it's great. And, and sometimes they'll say, it's just so simple. Like, and for me, that's such a compliment, the fact that it's simple. It's literally mm. two words. The, the work-life balance um, piece. Yes. Uh, it's just two words. Yeah. But it's what you can do with the simplicity of language if you can kind of bounce different realities together. It's like bouncing it down and bouncing stuff off each other to create meaning that kind of transcends just being a pun. It becomes something else. It and, does. and it can elicit a response that's not, it's not just smiling, you can also create emotional responses. When we talk about that work-life <coughs> balance, actually, we're referring to, um, to um, the amazing scales I now have in my office, where oh, I think this is one of um, the first pieces I bought from you. And for myself, it was at a point in time where I was really questioning um, that in my own life. Tell me about your love of language um, you refer back to from books, but you also had a career um, with Yeah, words. well, I mean, I, the first thing I wanted to be was a footballer. Uh, I was very good at football, and it looked at a, a, for quite a while that that was actually going to happen. I, I was on a, a professional club and stuff, uh, and then I kind of just, I, I just fell out of love with it, really. I played it too much. I was having to play mm-hmm. too much football, and I lost the love of playing for it. Uh, the next thing I wanted to be was a copywriter. Uh, this all kind as of happened. Do. Well, yeah, but like, when, as I fell out of love with football, I'd always been a reader, but I fell more in love with books. Uh, I got into Oscar Wilde and the Smiths, uh, you know. Uh, so there was books, there was records, there was this whole cultural thing going off. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, for me, I, I just wanted to—I wanted to write adverts. I wanted to be a copywriter. I, I didn't want to write novels. Actually, I, I wanted it was this short form thing. Back to the, the succinctness of stuff. And for me, advertising was just the dream job. It was kind of playing around with these concepts and ideas and, and making them come to life with words. That's what I wanted to do. Um, so I wanted to be a copywriter, and then I ended up being a copywriter. What age were you? Young 20s. You know, I, I went to university. I did English. I did an English degree at university. Uh, ended up applying for a job. The first job I applied for was in Holland for this great advertising agency. And my CV... Sorry, I'm rambling. But my CV no. at the time, what I did was uh, I wrote the whole CV... And lied basically fifty percent of the time on the CV. I'd say I was arm wrestling champion for for Sussex, <laughs> and that uh, I'd invented some sort. The whole CV was fifty percent lies and fifty percent truth. And at the end, I put, "If you want to find out which is which, give me an interview, and I'll tell you." Oh my goodness! And this somehow got me an interview in Holland for this advertising agency in Eindhoven. Uh, I got that, and the interview went really, really well, and uh, it was great. I thought, I think I've got. And then uh, they got in touch a couple of weeks later saying, we thought you were great, um, but just that bit on your CV where you lied about being the sub-editor for your local newspaper at the age of 14, we wish that had been true because we don't think you've got enough experience. And it was like, oh, I shouldn't have told them the truth about that one. Anyway, so I, I didn't, didn't go there, the but I got another job down in Bournemouth uh, working, uh, writing radio commercials. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Uh, coming up with ideas very, very quickly. The thing with writing radio like that is that you, you've got to, it's not huge weeks planning campaigns for massive clients. It was writing very, very quickly, having to write 10 different ideas a day and presenting them, uh, which is is a skill that is, is a very useful thing to kind of have, but 
over time it tends to weigh you down a little bit. And it and it wore you down, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's... over the years, you know, I went from various places. I ended up in London for a bit um, in Soho, working for a company called Radioville, and that was essentially my dream job. It was I was working for the big brands writing their radio stuff. Uh, I was working well, my um, boss and the other writer were basically the two writers who were the best in the country and, and I was their imposter thinking what what the, what am I doing here this is, <laughs> something's gone wrong I'm not going to tell anyone because I, I told people that before yeah, I didn't, I work didn't out. get the job in home <laughs> uh, so uh, so that was amazing it was a great job but basically I didn't move down to London I was commuting from Leeds every day basically I just had to quit because it just well talking about quitting I, I saw um one of your inspiring posts about your resignation letter. When you think about this and you think about what you do, and I just love the fact that your CV was already a play on words in a French sense, and that oh, you worked, you know, 11 years ago, you wrote, it's funny how these things are called resignation letters. As I see it, by doing this, I'm actually making sure I don't resign myself to another 10 years in a career that I no longer enjoy. I mean, wow, that, everyone needs a resignation like, letter like that. I mean, how did that go down? How, what was uh, your reaction to you resigning? Uh, it was interesting times. That resignation letter, I think it's November the 5th, that it's dated, actually. It's probably on there somewhere. Uh, but on, 2007. Yeah, on October the 5th, I'd walked out. So, uh, strangely, the company I, I was working for uh, had arranged a life coach at that point because I, I told them that I'm, I'm not well. Um, and when you say not well, what were, what I, were you dealing with? I, I, it's a strange, it's very difficult to pin it down. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of anxiety and depression, really. Mm-hmm. Um, probably more anxiety. Uh, and it was I, was, I was being asked to do too much. And I was asking too much of myself as well. Mm-hmm. I, I was, the real reason was kind of that I was co- having to come up with ideas that were better than the ones that I'd come up with previously. And so I didn't Mm want to let work get out there that was just shit. And it just got to the point where I just, uh, it was too much. And I used to dread, I used to dread lots of stuff about going to work. Um, uh, Mm. It was a very, very bad time. But Mm. lots of people have much worse situations. There was nothing Mm. really, there was nothing Mm. bad that happened. It was just me, just... But in your world, in your life, this was a moment in time that you probably knew, well, it sounds like things had to change. Uh, Yeah, and... Uh, well, yeah, it was. Very, I know that it was. It was. Well, my wife knew that it was really, really bad because I remember going to her at one point. I just don't. I, I said to her one evening, I, I just don't want to do anything creative anymore. I, I just because mm-hmm. I don't want to feel like this. I don't ever want to. I just yeah. want to go and get a job doing run away. And and she was like, well, don't do it. Quit. Which I'm so lucky. I'm so yeah. lucky that I, you know, um, had her I had support. A wife, yeah, exactly. But. Prior to that, although it was her saying you can do it, it was also, there's a beautiful irony that I told work, I, I need something, I'm, I'm kind of like really close to having a breakdown. I, yeah. I, I'd flagged it a few times. Uh, anyway, they'd set me up with a life coach, but basically uh, the life coach meeting was on Wednesday the 7th of October or something. On the Monday I had a total breakdown and right. I walked out. I, I was in a, bru- in a stationary cupboard uh, crying. And one of the salespeople came and found me, and uh, basically I just kind of said, I, I, I've, "I've just got to go." And I just, and I just walked out and I drove home. 
I kind of decided to go to the life coach thing on the Wednesday anyway because I didn't have to go back to work and it was arranged mm-hmm. and I felt bad kind of just yep. not going. <laughs> um, basically, she just said, well, why, why are you staying there? Why don't you just go? Yep. Why don't you just leave? Yep. And it was at that point, it was someone saying, you can, you can do it. Giving but you permission almost. Giving me permission. Yeah, and then permission my wife said, me. well, yeah, just do it. Was that walking away a relief? There was no romantic beautiful walking away screw the system sort of thing that and i i'm always at pains to explain to people that 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 never happened there was no i'm gonna own my have my own studio and, and etch glass and screw the system and the mat that never happened it was always i just walked out because if i'd stayed then i don't know what i would have done there was no that and it took a long time for me to to get it took you know a couple of years i'd slowly slowly clawed back into creativity really there was a point where I, I just you know I, I was just numb kind of thing yeah. but then I slowly I started yeah I, I was advised stuff there's a thing called daily pages have you heard of daily pages no tell me what's that it's quite a I think it's a it's a well-known uh method for trying to like bring you back from it's not just for creatives it's for yeah and it's basically each morning you set yourself a task of writing 500 words or a thousand words of anything you don't edit you just write sit down and write and you kind of just kind of you know cough it up basically yeah I started doing that and then out of that I kind of started falling because little ideas would pop up in the in the crap that you'd write and that would start me down starting to write little stories and it felt exciting then I then I did the waterstones yes short story thing and that was great for my confidence because my ego was just flat at that point and and at that point in time, did you have the inkling that, right, I'm going to now, I'm starting, I'm starting to feel my, excuse the pun, creative juices, because we'll talk about your amazing bottles, but starting to flow. And you came up with this wonderful name. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the best company names ever. Tell me about this. Uh, okay, so uh, the company's called Vinegar and Brown Paper. Um, it comes from the fact that I was a stay-at-home dad. Uh, at this point, I'd quit and my job and stuff. And then we had a daughter and I was looking after her at home. So obviously, you've got lots of nursery rhyme stuff going off. And uh, one of them that we went you know, through was the Jack and Jill nursery rhyme. Yes. And there's a bit... Know it well. ...in um, Jack and Jill where Jack falls down and he breaks his crown and then tries to mend it with vinegar and brown paper. And I just like the concept of mending my head and so the business was vinegar and brown paper, which I would essentially try and mend my head with. And by calling your business something that's actually very personal to you, mm. um, I know this myself as well. Um, did you know that your story, you were happy for your story, you were happy to be open with what some that's people might actually keep very private? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, I, I never really deliberated over it. I think I just took the decision that this, you know, mm. I, I was fucked and, you know, I was really low. This is me now. You like it or you don't like it. But like even from the beginning, I was, a lot of the pieces are about being, having creative block and, and feeling, um, you know, it's very personal stuff, which yeah. is, I think, what makes a lot of them resonate with people. Uh, you know, a lot it's just wordplay a lot but a lot of the times there's a resonating thing that people and they get it and part of that is the intention behind the pieces which is part of the thing that I went through 
it makes it real. And well, you people... opened up. You opened up and you connected. And you, you connected in a way that probably no one had ever really experienced before because not only am I looking at something very beautiful, but actually when I read it, when I look at my scales or mm. I look at various things that I have from you, I actually read it and I think about what I'm actually reading because it's so simple, but it's so connective. It's, it, it puts me into that place instantly. And I always know the time and place that I receive these things or got them. And so you've, you've managed to do that. You've managed to um, communicate in such a clear way. But I'm interested to know, right at the beginning, so you're now doing pieces that are for you, they're creatively expressing yourself. You're trying to not throw creativity away. You're, you're pulling this back into your life. What were, from a sort of small business angle, the, the sort of the, this, this, this world that everyone goes through, if you start to create something yourself, what were those first days or year like when you, you said, right, oh my gosh, actually, do I have a business here? Uh, I, uh, it, it was, there, was, there was never any plans. There was never any business plan at all. It was always, it was the, I, I had this idea about etching glass and then I started, part of me started thinking, well, maybe people would buy it, but I'm, I'm just going to make it anyway, just for fun. At this point, you know, it was just, it was having fun. It was playing around. I was making them for me. And I, there was a shop in Harrogate where I used to live um, that was selling kind of vintage stuff. And that beautiful shop, they had some great stuff. And for some reason, I mentioned to them that I'd started etching glass, which is very out of character for me, because I wouldn't really tell anyone. And they said, well, do you want to, you know, like have some in the shop? Uh, to, and it was like, wow. <laughs> uh, so you I like did. what I do? Well, I know, exactly. Um, and, and so they put some in the shop. And I remember... Um, you know, going down in the evening to see it in the shop window. And it, it was like, no way. Uh, Did you get friends and family to come and well, you know, have I a look? Down, I went down with um, my wife and daughter. And, I, you know, and it, just, it was just amazing seeing it in a shop, really. And then it was even more amazing when uh, that it started, people started buying it. Must have been a real moment in time for uh, you. It is. I mean, it's still it's still that high point. I mean, like yeah. that's like one of those things because like you, you're making this stuff and then then someone's actually basically I would have given it away. They, they they didn't have to buy it. I would have gone no, just take it. So it sounds like you're still in disbelief that you are who you are today and oh god and yeah. and and that I, it's uh, it's amazing. It amazes me. I'm incredibly lucky. I love where I am now. I mean, this. I mean, this, this studio here. I mean, like, this is the me I would have always wanted to be. When we first met each other, um, it was when you very kindly came and uh, was filmed for our Holly and Co oh. advert, and it, it it reminds me of a line that you said, but actually, before it, it, it made me think of a David Bowie quote: "Aging is an extraordinary process." Where you become the person you should have always have been. I didn't know that quote. I, I think that's totally And I true. think you said in your quote, it, it, it was about that you were finally now the person at the age of 40 who you were meant to be. Yeah, I think, I, I genuinely think that's the truth. I'm actually comfortable with myself now. And yeah, I think that's true. I, I, if, if David Bowie said it. Then yeah, well, hey, I mean, it's just you and him exactly. that said it. I mean, so you've got good company. <laughs> I think a lot of our small businesses, you know, people that we know have these moments of realisation. And I suppose where they have that sort of 
moment. I, I don't think, you know, some people have the light bulb moments and, and, and some people don't. And some people it's this process. And I think for you it was, and for myself, it was a journey to get to a place. And, you know, one of the things I'm so passionate about, and I know you know, know this about me, I'm, I'm really looking to help people find out who they truly, really are and do what they love and making a living being exactly who they are. And you seem to be the poster boy for it. I mean, you and, you know, I mean, what am I going to call you? A poster boy, you're David Bowie today, you're, you're everything. This is great. You great. know, you're, you're ultimately... yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple do you more jars. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I, I do, I do. But I know it's not straightforward. No, it's not. Tell, it's tell never. me about what you still struggle with. Do you have down days still? Oh, I mean, God, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... The thing that I've come to realise is that I will always have down days. I, I will never eradicate that, but that's kind of part who, partly who I am anyway. But it's just knowing that when it's on a down day, something will happen and it will go back up again. And it's getting through that. I know that now. So it's this wonderful moment where every day that you get to be your own boss, you get to decide that actually when you pull yourself back and say, no, no, hang on a second... No, no, I make the decisions here. Yeah. I do actually count in all of this. My happiness is why I created this business. But it sounds like the creativity has healed you. It's, it's taken yeah. you along a path that you feel that you're in a, a better place. Totally. Um, from that the moment when I, I tell my wife I didn't want to do anything creative again, because uh, from that point you know, to here now, it's kind of I, I couldn't have got it without the, uh, doing this. It's who I am. So it's not about making money that sounds very trite but it's not the money is secondary if the the creativity is good enough or whatever people like it then the money will come what's most important is the ideas and the creativity and that's what feeds me really that's that's my goal that's it's to carry on having fun creating stuff i'm also interested um in talking about, I mean, actually, this question comes from, I recently saw, and I'm actually feeling quite a pressure because I'm right next to it, this most wonderful product. It's a biscuit um, <laughs> jar, and uh, it has happy rather than rich tea biscuits. And I know we've just spoken about um, this before in terms of when you and I have met up. It's, it's an issue that I used to call, um, whilst growing not on the high street, scaling the unique. Our customer base grew. I'm sure yours is growing as well. And these artisans, small businesses, creative small businesses, had to scale quickly. And when a product hit that homepage or um, was put in a catalogue or a TV advert, this small business would have to scale overnight. It really is magical to watch. I've been in the most privileged position to watch these mm. businesses from a sort of bird's eye point of view flourish. Um, people have been able to buy houses, go on holiday, pay school fees, support sick relatives, um, allow husbands, for instance, to leave their jobs and join the family business. However, conversely, I've also seen a lot of businesses delegate the thing that they absolutely loved. How do you feel about scaling your business? Do you have thoughts about how you create a financially viable business that needs to support your life, right, real life, and yet keep true to your roots and your uniqueness? 
last nice just easy that one. one. Yeah, just really? that one. If you could answer that. Um, in terms of scaling, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard you talk about keeping under the VAT threshold. Yeah, uh, I sit just underneath it. Um, and that's on purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, because I kind of took the decision. I love where I am at the moment. What I don't want to do is fuck that up by kind of like, I don't want to be massive. Being creative is, that's it, that's that's who I am. That's where I get all the buzz from. Coming up with ideas, making stuff, and putting my name to the stuff, and knowing that, that I'm proud of it, yeah. really. I don't need to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of pounds. Do you have moments where you, you think, oh, gosh, come on. We, if, if, if I just did this, if I just did this, I'd be able to afford that. Do you, do, you, do you battle with it? Well, yeah. I mean, at the moment, we'd really like a, a, the conservatory kind of uh, extending and, and stuff. Um, but apart from that, I don't have that ambition to own, uh, you know, a Ferrari or anything. I, I'm not bothered about that. I'm bothered. There's always the a material bit, side of things. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, I buy lots of stuff to yeah. just to enjoy the, the yeah. buying thing. But it's generally it's just stuff. It could be. So buying something for a pound or something for a hundred pounds, or it could be something more expensive. But I get the joy from just the thing rather than the value of the thing. But what do you feel about people that you see your counterparts or people that you know when you think, oh, careful? When you look back at what you're doing and that you're in this comfortable place, you you have sort of worked it out. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but you've sort of worked out what your happiness place is, and you value happiness as much as a pound note. Pound note, oh my gosh. Pound note? Yeah, my I mean, well, I, anyway, <laughs> a coin, a, you know, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but the, the point is, is that you, you've worked that out. For others, I, I opportunity think... comes knocking and you feel as a small business, well, what if I don't take that opportunity? Is it going to come again? Well, I, I'm totally, that's totally valid. I mean, I had, I had an email from uh, an online gift company last week. Um saying we'd be really interested in selling stuff online. And, and it was quite a big company. Uh, but I had a look at them. I'd heard of them. I had a look at them. And it just didn't really feel right for me. And it was like, well, I, I could do that. It probably makes sense financially. Uh, it just doesn't feel quite right for the brand. But essentially, the brand is me. Yeah. And then I had a friend um, say, well, what you could do is kind of like create a sub-brand of vinegar and brown paper, like a diffusion line, and you kind of do, you know, che- do cheaper glass and, and less funny ideas and, and sell that on like on volume. a volume level, uh, which is I've thought about this before. I could do that. Uh, but why would I want to do that? Why? why? Uh, I don't want to be ubiquitous. I don't want to be in, you know, on those discounted shelves in TK Maxx. I, I don't want to be no. a mass-produced... that. I want to be known as the person, as the company who does the really cool glass etchings, is vinegar and brown paper. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to be everywhere. I well, just you, want to you be... hold your brand in high regard, and I think in this day and age where sometimes brand with the internet, with social media, you know, starting creating a business has never been easier actually. Mm. And I think that that that's sometimes given people a wrong sense of uh, what running a business is all about or having a successful long-term business. And I think I love so much what you do, not just because I have these things and they remind me of moments in my life, 
but your brand is strong. I know that you won't compromise. And for me, that I suppose it means it's it, I will have you as someone that I want in my life always. That's lovely. I mean, that if that's how you feel, that's how that's essentially how I want people what? to feel. I you've got this great opportunity to create a brand the the brand that you'd want to be. You, you are market to your, your audience, and your audience is you basically. Like the whole brand of Vinegar and Brown Paper is the way that it is because if I was a customer, I'd want it to be like that. Anya Hindmarsh said that she creates products that she loves. Exactly. And if she loves them, other people will love I, them. And that is exact, that's exactly the point. And why would you not do it that way? Because otherwise, then you're just doing it for the money. If that's the case, you know, fair enough. But that's not the way that I could ever do it, really. It sounds like... Um you didn't necessarily have a business plan. And I, and I say that, I say that because I absolutely do not believe, unless for a couple of circumstances, then required, but I do not believe in this 200 page business plan. I, I think you need an idea, a vision and a bloody good to-do list. And especially when you're setting up what I call a good life company, where success doesn't mean ultimately that your company has to be valued it's it's not a company that you're looking to sell have you ever set yourself business plans or goals or, and and do you believe in that way of conducting yourself in business to be fair you know I, I glibly play the no business plan thing but there isn't a business plan but there is there's always there's a permanent business plan it's permanently changing um have you ever played pool you know pool like snooker terribly pool? yes i okay. have I really used to play a lot of pool. And the way that I do uh, have a business plan is the same way that I used to play pool. Basically, you know your ultimate goal is to pop the black at the end of it. And, you know, you pick either stripes or spots. And each time you make a shot, things actually fall out of place. You, you can kind of think three balls ahead and where they're going to go. But each time you do it, the angles change. So you've always got to be permanently just incrementally changing the, the way that you look at the game with that final goal of, of potting the black. And that's for what me... What a great analogy. <laughs> the end goal for me is to carry on doing it yeah and that was it was interesting because I'm, I'm very very surprised um and something I would encourage and I'm surprised that other people don't think about that black ball yeah I'd encourage it because actually anyone who's looking to set up or has created a business and it's you're never too late to do this you have to ask yourself I would say at the beginning what happens at the end You've got to make peace with those balancing scales of, let's say, happiness and profit. You need to sort of decide what life or what work life you want to lead. And right at the beginning, if you can, you need to establish that because actually it informs everything. So mm. if we look at your analogy with the black ball, where what is it? Where am I actually looking to go? Because real success is being happy. It, 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 it's, it's doing what you love. And for me, and I think for you, happiness is this the highest level of success. And I haven't always been in that place. And I'm pretty tired now of these business formats, Dragon's Den, um, Apprentice. And I suppose this is what this podcast is all about those other stories the companies that have grown through a strong brand the mm. brand has taken them through the storms 
family businesses passed on to generations, not selling, making good money, but having a good life. And I suppose that's what you're saying, that, that analogy of, the, of, of, of playing yeah. pool. Well, yeah, that black ball is the... I love this, this mythological black ball now. This is a great, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I know what I'm going to be asking for Christmas. One. Yeah, edge black um, No, for me, that is what it is. Uh, that's, for me, is to carry on doing this and feeling the way that I do about it now. And I'm, I get loads of family time. I don't, we don't really want for anything. We're very lucky. You know, we haven't got loads of money. But we've got a great life. It's brilliant. Thinking of happiness and thinking of the journey that we're talking about, you etched a fabulous light switch for us at the Holly & Co workshop with my favourite Dumbledore line, um, happiness can be found in even the darkest times. If only one remembers to turn on the light. I, I think it's probably the most Instagram blue light switch ever. We, we touched on mental health. We touched on your journey with it. Have you been able to help people through your experience? Is that important to you? Um, yeah, quite humblingly so. Because, I mean, you know, I, I just... People have gone through much worse than me. And I, I'm always wary of if I post something about it, then I get, you know, amazing comments from people and they start, you know, telling me stuff. And, and I feel like, whoa, I, <laughs> you know, that sounds absolutely awful. And, but it's nice. They, they feel they can talk about it and they can see that it's that other people have been through similar stuff. And I feel very honoured that, 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 that I can get them talking about it as well. And it matters so much. Some of the pieces, like, spark off that kind of sentiment. I worry about that at times. Um, I had... I was going to... It was a 10-year anniversary back in November from when I resigned. And I kind of decided, right, this is the last time I will post about that whole episode in my life because I don't want that just to define me as being... Right, oh, it's the guy who kind of... You know, had a breakdown, um, but then it's part of me. It's it is part of, part of you. Terrible, but it is. But me. it is part my of you. Hashtag, you know, like my yeah. name on Instagram is yeah. Mend Your Head, and I, I, I can't really brush that under the carpet at any point. Well, I hope you don't. If stories that can be shared can help people, whatever they're going through, or that they've got a creative block, that actually there are some stories that give you hope. Mm. You want some. Um, You've made me a beautiful pin, and I've also seen that you have this wonderful pin with um, imposter like you. Oh, right. okay. And it's something I talk a lot about, actually, this imposter syndrome. It's it, If I talk about it on social media, creative folk, uh, right side of the brainers, you know, I, I feel that we the imposter syndrome is really, really real. Totally. And, totally. and something I'm trying to talk about more is outing it to start with, um, saying that you're not alone, but also trying to look at it as a superpower. So, you know, for me, um, as I said, with dyslexia, you know, only until two years ago, I'd, I'd never had the confidence to ever, ever construct any piece of writing really? ever. Wow. So it was a huge moment for me to even have the courage, um, thanks to my co-founders at Holly & Co, The Wind Beneath My Wings, they encouraged me to do that. And I now see it as something that makes me strive to be the best that I can be. Tell me about, you've had it, you feel it, yeah, you still I, do? I've always, uh, yes, it's kind of a superpower for me as well, to be honest. There, there was a great, huge moment of realisation that I had uh, quite a while back now, when I was doing the vinegar and brown paper thing, and I did this mirror. And I etched this mirror with, uh, remember, everyone else is making it up as they go along too. Uh, I know, yeah. And Brilliant. that was 
one of the first pieces that I couldn't get rid of. But there was a moment when I realised, and this is after all the shit with the proper job and quitting and everything, and I was, I was going pretty well with vinegar and brown paper. And I felt like an imposter. I still feel like an imposter. Like, you know, I'd go to these makers shows and stuff and you'd be like, <laughs> you're all amazingly talented and, you know, I'm turning up with some etched glass. But I realised that the whole imposter syndrome, everyone is, everybody suffers from it. And the key thing, the key realisation is it's not just you that's suffering from it, it's everybody. To varying levels of degrees, we're all making it up. Um, And so that's fine. You know, I always look at small business and I refer to it as this epic roller coaster. These moments that are so unbelievably high and then along with that high, the really low moments. Tell me about, do you have a proudest moment, a great high? Um, I mentioned earlier about that, that first time that you see one of your things in a shop and someone buys it. That's amazing. I mean, I mean you've been through that. I mean, that's, I, I have, that, yes. that's just so weird and so uh, reaffirming. And uh, especially when you've been through some bad stuff and then you come out of it and that happens and, and suddenly, uh, that's amazing. That's such a high. Uh, then you get there's other stuff there's like doing doing shows because uh, normally you're just kind of like huddled away in your own studio somewhere and then you get all this love love coming yeah, at you love. and it's kind of like again it's affirming what you're doing is a positive th- is a good thing which is lovely which is brilliant i also hear that was oprah oprah was around i mean <laughs> uh, no, not that, that i'm a big fan was, or anything that was very early on that was when it all kind of kicked off um i just Someone had posted the Creative Juices bottle very early on, with the Creative Juices bottle on social media, and, and it went a bit viral-ish. Uh, and then I got an email from Oprah's PA saying, we're really interested, Oprah's really interested in putting you some of your etched sweet jars in her. She's got some catalogue of items. I don't know what oh, right. it was. But it's some sort of thing that Oprah was doing. So I said no. <laughs> Damn, why I said I no say? to Oprah. Yeah, I didn't have enough sweet jars. Sweet jars. And she wanted them for like next Saturday. Or yeah. something. So I had to say no, but it was just a bit weird. And that, that was the point when everything exploded. Really. I was getting, it went viral. I was getting emails for interviews in America and stuff. Uh, it was very strange. Amazing. It was very strange. It was very, this was kind of after the first, you know, it was in the first year sort of thing. It was very So weird. that would have helped build the... Well, that kind the, of kick-started Yeah, absolutely, that whole... confidence coming back to you. Yeah, that, it was that, amazing, yeah. Yeah. On that, the best places to learn from, aren't they, are our low points. It's such a great place, not to sound too deep, but to grow and become more experienced. And even though it's pretty horrific, that is where you learn. Have you had moments that have you know, terrified you? Business lows? Oh, it all terri- terrifies me <laughs> every day, uh, in a good way. No, I've been very fortunate that it's been great. There's times when I'm knackered. There's times when I think I, I can't do all the stuff I've got to do. But I, never in a kind of way. I've, it's like once I've been through the thing before with the whole advertising career, like this is kind of, you know, a different problem. The downside, the only real down thing that, that um, plagues me is plagiarism. When people show you stuff that... That is, you can tell that they've taken your idea, your phrasing of stuff, and and kind of replicated it. I don't understand because, like, in my world of 
creativity. Why would you do that? Why would you not want to create something that, that was yours, that, that was your own? Like, have your idea and, and do the thing that's, that's yours. Be true to yourself, don't... Because otherwise, it's just about making money. Through my career, 15 years now, immersed into small business, I would say one of the most key lows of everybody is this point. And yet, mm. and yet, so many people look at it as maybe... Um, I don't want to judge them. Maybe it's a very crazy low point in their world. They've got a mortgage to pay. Something's got to happen. And so they look for an easy route. And I have no no time and no patience and no sympathy for the high street and what it can do. Mm. And giants taking on the small guys and, and, and trying to um, take their creativity and make a quick buck out of it. But it's when I see like-minded small businesses, shouldn't we all be in a gang together? The positive side of, of the whole that whole thing, I'm not saying, because please, I hate it, I can't, but it taught me about running faster. You've just got to run a little, as a creative, you've just got to run a little bit faster than everyone. And it, again, it's building that brand and it's being, again, black ball, final eight ball kind of thing. Uh, the goal from the start, and this is me, advertising background, is that I wanted people to go vinegar and brown paper. Uh, that's the guy who um, etches glass. And then if they see someone else's etched glass that's copying me, they go, oh, they're copying vinegar and brown paper. You know, we've got loads of Emma Bridgewater, like, plates in our, you know, stuff in our kitchen. But then, you know, you'll go somewhere and you'll see people ripping off Emma Bridgewater stuff and you go, oh, well, why would I buy that? Because yeah, I want absolutely. The, the proper stuff. I think, I think a, a massive key tonic for this issue that we're dealing with is customers looking to spend money at the source of the creativity and understanding well it might cost you a few pounds more but guess what that was hand etched last night and sent to you and that's what you want consciously consuming and I think that's not just an environmental issue it's also something that we can do as our listeners here support the small support Mm. small support creativity because guess what they'll then just enrich your life tell me um who inspires you in life at the moment? Um, there was, I'm not sure if there is any one person really that does it, but what I w- would say inspires me hugely, and I, I never thought I'd subscribe to this kind of thing. So I'm not really someone who ever wanted to be part of a gang, part of a, you know, there's that Groucho Marx thing that's in the Woody Allen film. But, you know, I never wanted to be part of, you know, like a club who'd have me as a, I just never want to be part of something else. But having started the whole maker vinegar and brown paper thing, the community is just amazing. Like, especially when you go out and do these shows all around the country and they're travelling from the other side of the country to these events and they're turning up in their kind of, you know, hired vans or cars crammed full of all this stuff that they've made and they set up and their stalls look amazing and they spend three days talking to the public and, and they're selling all their stuff. And the work that they do is all so unique and it's all stuff that they've made in their own little sheds and studios. And they're doing it. They're they're just doing it. It's not kind of, you know, a big multi-brand named thing that's on the high street and everywhere, but it exists and it's beautiful. And long may it continue. And I find that very inspiring, strangely. I mean, what a what a lot. I, I could talk to you all day, and I love that we're sort of coming to an end when we talk about that community, because as you know, that community is everything that I believe in and everything that I'll be working 
to help support until I'm the ripe old age of 90 with my eccentric glasses and jewellery. I don't <laughs> know. picture eccentric oh, Yeah, I'm literally, really? I keep saying that so that I just feel permission to wear crazy right, things. Okay. Um, and thank you for sharing your journey so beautifully. But before we go, I just wanted to ask, and I know you've prepared something before this podcast, a note to your younger self. Okay. And so I hope you enjoyed putting the pen to paper and I don't know what you're going to say but I just before you read what you've written I just wanted to say thank you um thank you for sharing part of your soul Uh, (laughs) it was a pleasure it was a pleasure to write the the letter really it's um yeah maybe I should write some longer stuff these days yeah uh on. Dear 26-year-old me, first things first, I'm uh, your weir. I'm going to go with weir. We're 43 now. I know, 43. There'll be times in the next seven years when you'll deliberate over whether that's going to actually happen. But here you are, reading a letter you've been asked to write to yourself as part of an interview that's been recorded in your studio. Yes, your own studio. You etch glass now, by the way. I know, long story. Suffice to say, a lot of shit is going to happen between where you are now and where you are at 43. I'm well aware that you've just quit your dream job in London and are currently sitting there disillusioned, scared and jobless. But guess what? You're going to do pretty much the same thing again when you're 33, but far more dramatically next time. I'm not here to help you avoid any of those next seven years. There'll be some great things that happen along the way. And you come to realise that you're only ever exactly where you're supposed to be at any given time anyway. The only thing I want to pass on to you is this. Whenever you feel like you do right now, whenever you feel stuck, used up, useless, at a loss, lost. Whenever you feel as if there's no way out of this, there's no point, there's nothing new, there's nowhere for you to go, no way you can move forward, I need you to know that there is, there always is. Because I know that there are thousands upon thousands of ideas you are still yet to have. Big ideas, tiny ideas, rubbish ideas, brilliant ideas. Ideas that will make you smile inside again. Ideas that will change the way you see things and get you out of any hole, however dark it seems. Each one will propel you forward in its own incremental way onto the next thing. You just need to trust that they will. In fact, to be honest... This isn't just a letter to me, age 26. This is a letter to every future me, too. Sometimes you may have to wait a while. Sometimes it might not be the idea you thought you needed, but there are countless new ideas for you still yet to have. Countless stories still yet to be written. You are never completely stuck in any situation. This isn't where you end. There's always more to come. And who knows where that could lead to. All it takes is an idea, and that's going to be arriving pretty shortly. Yours faithfully, you, age 43. Oh, Oh, I'm just having to wipe a couple of tears there. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) That's okay. I think where that's going to hit home is people believe that 
what they're doing now is only who they are and that they don't have anything more and that they they doubt that where that one idea came from could happen again and I think it's going to resonate with so many people and I just can't thank you enough Andy for sharing it's a pleasure you're very dear to me and to many many people thank Thank you. you thank you Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in 